Well, welcome. I am Olivia. I am one of the pastors here at North Church. Thank you for tuning in. This has been a crazy season. Coronavirus, quarantine, lockdown. Oh my goodness. I have been doing things that I've never done before because I feel like I've had way more time. My life has dramatically slowed down. I know that's not the case for a lot of people because this season has made them more busy with more responsibilities and duties. But for me, things have slow down where I'm doing things I don't usually do like go outside and take walks I can't tell you the last time I would just go outside to walk before lockdown happened or I would pick up my phone and call people that's a big deal because Millennials don't like talking on the phone it was big I was just like I am so bored I am lonely I need to call somebody so I just you know, would call random people just how are you let's talk that's a big deal I didn't do that before I was quarantined but in all seriousness, our nation is in a very chaotic time. Cities are being burned, buildings and communities are being destroyed, and the African-American community especially is hurting. My heart has been so broken for the past week as I am reminded once again that our nation has a far, far way to go in regards to racial tensions and racial reconciliation. Our news sources have been flooded with the protests going on all throughout the nation. Um, these protests are happening in, in honor of George Floyd that died in Minnesota and then other people as well, uh, people of color that have died unjust deaths. And these uh, protests that are peaceful, they are here to honor the families and the loved ones and to get the attention of government officials so that we can move towards change in our country. So separate from those peaceful pro protests, there have been violent riots. Um, those are separate things going on where people are destroying communities and buildings and businesses and neighborhoods, and that is not okay. There is so much chaos in our world right now, and my heart is heavy and it's sad as I'm engaging with these issues and with people in our community. So needless to say, all of this is happening and we are still recovering from a pandemic and we're, our economy is still gaining strength after everything that's happened. Many people are still unemployed, hungry, anxious, and scared. And our staff is still hard at work trying to address all the needs that have come up because of coronavirus and now all of this going on in our city and our world as well. As though 2020 wasn't already hard enough, this past few weeks have reminded us that the ugliness and darkness in our world still exists in such horrible ways. And as a Jesus follower, I'm sure you're asking yourself a lot of questions right now. I am too. My big question to God is, how can I shine your light in such a dark world? What do you want me to do, God? And I believe the Bible has a lot to say about this. The disciples of Jesus were, in fact, the light of the world in darkness during their time. And God sustained them. He sustained the church. And God will sustain us as well. So we have a lot to learn from the disciples. How did they navigate when the world was just so chaotic and dark and Jesus... Uh, commissioned them to go into the world and to spread his message, his good news, and to be the light. So we are studying the books, book of Acts right now in our series called Scattered. Uh, we left off last week in chapter six, and up until now, we have seen the disciples empowered by the Holy Spirit and sent out to serve God. 
Thousands of people came to faith in Jesus when at the dawn of this uh, movement of Christianity, they began establishing home churches, food banks, community support, and spreading the gospel. As we saw last week in Acts 6, that they were uh, starting all of these ministries, and then they wanted to go and travel and spread the gospel. So they needed some people to handle all the ministries that they started. So they appointed seven men, men that were full of the spirit and of wisdom. And one of those men, his name was Stephen. And that is the focus of our time together today. We're going to talk about Stephen. If you remember last week, Pastor Mike called him a man's man. I imagine him as strong, courageous, adventurous, and loyal. He was a man of boldness. He was someone that would be peacefully at the front lines of different uh, protests to stand for justice. He's that kind of man. And he was hungry to serve God and he was thrilled to be a part of the seven men that were appointed to serve him. And let me just say, we all know somebody named Stephen. Maybe you know a Stephen with a man bun or a skateboarder. Don't picture that Stephen right now. That's not who we're talking about. We're talking about Acts 6 and 7 Stephen, okay? Scholars believe that Stephen was a Jew with a Greek background. That's huge. Uh, this gave him the ability to speak to different people groups and audiences. So he could hang out at the Jewish parties and he could also hang out at the Greek parties and fit right in. This is like someone who's bilingual, who can connect with different people based on language, or like myself who can connect both with the African-American community and the Caucasian community because I grew up in both as a woman of color. So Stephen is an amazing example of giving everything to Christ. He actually sacrificed his life for Jesus, and we're going to read more about that. And it just is so inspiring because he makes me ask the question, like, is Jesus the center of my life? just like he was at the center of Stephen's life. Am I willing to put my life on the line for Jesus, just like Stephen did? Where is God asking me to surrender and allow him to be the pilot of my life? Stephen asked those questions of himself, and we see him living out his response in Acts 6 and 7. His appearance in scripture was pretty brief, but it's so powerful and impactful. So let's start in Acts 6, verse 8. It says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. So he was performing signs just like Jesus did. He was doing this by the, in the power of Jesus. So he was probably healing people, casting out demons, turning water into wine perhaps, and bringing it to his Greek parties like we talked about a minute ago. But the religious leaders did not like him. They didn't like what he was doing or saying, and they wanted to get rid of him, truthfully. In verse 10, it says, but they, meaning the religious leaders, could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the group of religious leaders. So they arrested Stephen, brought him in front of these leaders, and they just imagine just chaos, them shouting and pushing and bringing him over here because they're angry and putting him before these people that would determine his fate. Does that sound familiar to you? It sounds a lot like Jesus. What happened to him when he was alive? 
They called him a blasphemer and they didn't recognize the work of God that was in Jesus and they didn't recognize that in Stephen either. I think the irony is so strong right here. The leaders were accusing Stephen of not following God when they themselves were not following God. This is crazy because they thought they were and you would think if they were, they would recognize God in the flesh as Jesus Christ of Nazareth, but they didn't. Okay, think like this. If you were obsessed with a celebrity, uh, you followed them on Twitter, you read every article about them, you had posters of them in your home and you just studied the celebrity and you loved them. And if they were standing right in front of you and you didn't recognize them, wouldn't that be a problem? Wouldn't that be weird? It would be like you would recognize them because you studied them, you think about them, you love them. But if you don't recognize them, then you really don't know who they are. That's like this right here where the religious leaders, they thought they knew God, but they didn't recognize him when he was standing right in front of them. That's what Stephen is trying to convey to them. And when Stephen stands before these leaders, he's standing with courage and he begins to explain to them that Jesus is a Lord. He begins to describe the whole narrative of scripture up into the present time, pointing to Jesus. He goes from Abraham, the patriarch of Israel, to Moses and to Israel's escape from Egypt and then to the prophets and then to Jesus. He has this whole sermon. I encourage you to read it on your own because he's connecting the dots for them. He's saying, look, all of this all along was pointing to Jesus. This is the salvation story. And for us, it makes sense because we're Christians. We're like, yeah, that makes sense that all of this points to Jesus. But for them, it did not make sense. And they were angry. They thought it was blasphemous. They were like, what is this guy saying? We do not want to hear this. Stephen demonstrated something so powerful that day. He was saying, Jesus is Lord of the universe. He was saying, Jesus is Lord of my life. And he was also saying, guess what? Jesus is Lord of your life too. That outraged them. It disturbed them. They could not wrap their heads around it. And let's see what Stephen says in Acts 7, 51. He says to them, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. He's saying, you are rejecting God, just like your ancestors did. Don't you see this? He's saying that the story that you're living right now, it is incomplete, it's misshaped, and it's wrong without Jesus at the center. Don't you see? He's trying to help them see this, and it's true for them, and it's also true for us. Because God wants to be the center of every story, and he eagerly desi desires to be the center of your story as well. This means having Jesus be the focal point of your life and the way you spend your money, your time, your energy, everything point back to Jesus. So is Jesus the center of your story, both generally and then day by day, moment by moment? Stay at home moms, how is Jesus the story of your daily routine? 
Students, how does Jesus transform your narrative in college into something that's meaningful and significant? Empty nesters, what does Jesus have to say about your home that is now quiet? Your babies have grown up, moved on. What does Jesus have to say about that now? Those of you who are retired, what does it look like and mean for Jesus to be the center of your retirement plans? And for all of us who have jobs, how does Jesus connect to your vocation? How does your faith and your work integrate together? How is Jesus influencing all of our lives where it's no longer me, 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 but it's about other people. It's about God. It's about serving others, even if they don't look like you, act like you, talk like you, or they might have different skin colors than you. Is Jesus at the center of your life? Keeping God at the center of your life, mind you, is not a solo act as well. We need community. We need Christian friends. We need life groups in order to help one another and encourage each other to keep Jesus at the center. That's what community is all about. And if you don't have community here at North Church, I would love to get you connected. So please send me an email, olivia at northchurch.net. We can talk more about getting connected because it's so important to have other Christians around you, supporting you to help you grow in your journey. So what happens when Jesus is not the center of our lives? It's simple. Something else becomes the center of our lives. Perhaps it's a preoccupation for success, money, material possessions, more recognition, more beauty, or maybe it's strongholds that are at the center of your life. Fear, anxiety, bitterness, unforgiveness, or addictions. I believe that Christians and non-Christians alike are made to look to God, to be the person who forms our story, the center of our story in our lives. He is the one that brings us meaning, rescue, love, purpose, and freedom. Jesus is the one that does that. Not our boyfriends and girlfriends, not Netflix, not ice cream. Like Jesus is the only one that brings us meaning, fulfillment, and purpose. That is what the Bible calls salvation, that Jesus is meant to be the center of our stories. And it took me a while to figure that out. I felt so empty and unsatisfied for years until I realized what is missing is Jesus. He is the one that brings meaning and fulfillment to my life. It's like what the early church father says, his name is Augustine. He would say that God made us for himself and that our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. That is what Stephen is trying to say. That is what the Bible testifies. Unless Jesus Christ is the center of your life and your story, you will never find a happy ending. I'm sorry, but Disney says we can be happily ever after with other things, Prince Charming or whatever. Jesus says, no, I am the only way you'll have a happily ever after. I am your prince, prince of peace, prince Jesus. I like that. So this message um, that Stephen is portraying to the religious leaders um, is powerful and bold, and they do not like it. Let's see how they respond in Acts 7, verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious. They gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God, look, he said, I see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. And at this, 
uh, statement, the religious leaders covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They rushed at him and dragged him uh, out of the city and began to stone him to death. All of this because he was declaring Jesus as Lord. This was horrific. This was unjust. He was in the middle of a riot. Like, imagine what we see in the media right now. Imagine Stephen in the middle of that. People angry and mobbing and destructive. Stephen was the focal point of this riot where they stoned him until he died. So just like Jesus, Stephen was wrongfully accused and murdered. And verse 58 says, Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Uh, We will talk more about Saul next week. Many of us know Saul as Paul of the New Testament. Verse 59 says, While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep, meaning he died. So just as Jesus prayed forgiveness uh, for the people that were killing him and accusing him, Stephen did the same thing with his last breath. And at this moment, it's a turning point in the book of Acts. Because of his murder, because of the persecution, Christians began to be more and more persecuted. And they began to multiply and scatter and spread out and to multiply and share the gospel in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we'll talk more about that next week, this movement. But even in the darkness of Stephen's murder, of this horrible situation, God's light and purpose remains to shine through his people. Isn't that incredible? I'm holding on to that during this time. God, how is your light going to continue to shine through us, through all the darkness and all the chaos? Stephen's life and death leave us with this question still. Is the Lord who is the center of Stephen's life at the center of my life as well? Who do you want to be in this story? Do you want to be Stephen who laid his life down for Jesus, who sacrificed his life? Or do you want to be the religious leaders who didn't recognize when God was standing right in front of them, when God was saying, receive me, um, turn to me, and said they thought they were serving him, but they really weren't. Who do you want to be in this story? Jesus is the only one worth living for and dying for. Stephen was similar to Jesus. As we said, he would do miracles. He would speak with boldness. He was persecuted. He died an unjust death, just like Jesus. But unlike Stephen, when Jesus died, he rose again. Stephen pointed to Jesus, and Jesus pointed to himself. Jesus is unique. Jesus is God, and he gave his life for you and for me for forgiveness of sins and to give us a purpose, a hope, a future, and fulfillment in this life. And he's the only one who can satisfy our souls. He doesn't want fear and anxiety and money and empty pursuits to be the center of your life and your story. He wants to be there. He wants to take over completely. And Jesus once said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Forever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul? 
It might feel like putting Jesus at the center of our lives feels like we're losing our life, but in actuality, we are, we are gaining life. We are saving our lives when we do this. So ultimately, friends, the rejection of Stephen was a re-rejection of Jesus. That's what this whole passage is about. And the call for us today that Stephen said to those leaders that didn't understand his accusers to his murderers, his, the message that he shared with them is same to the message he is sharing with us today. That Jesus wants to be at the center of our lives. He longs to be there. And he wants us to open up our hearts and invite him in. So whether that's for the first time, or maybe uh, you, you are committed to Jesus, but you just need that deepening in your relationship with him. He is open. He is ready to receive you. He is knocking at the door of your heart, and he is rejoicing when you turn to him in faith and surrender. I want to pray right now with you. Would you join me? Dear God, we, um, we love you. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. And we thank you for the example of Stephen. (laughs) Stephen, who laid his life down, who spoke with boldness, who stood for you, even when he was opposed, even to the point of death. What an inspiration Stephen is. I pray that you help us to continue to discern, like, what what does it mean to live like Stephen lived, to live and to honor Jesus in that way? I want to pray for my friends who who want to deepen their relationship with you. Maybe you have... um, moved from the center of their lives and other things have moved in their place. I know that's happened with me in the past and and I'm still working through that as well. God, remain on the throne, on the throne of their hearts and their lives. Lord, help us open up to you and your faithfulness, God. And I pray for my friends who have not yet um, prayed a prayer of salvation, a prayer of acceptance to you. Would you pray this with me right now? Dear God, I want a life where you are at the center. I believe that you are Lord, that you died and that you rose again, and that you offer salvation and forgiveness for my sins. God, I want you to be the center. I put my trust and my faith in you. And I commit to learning more about what that means and more about what it means to be in community. I pray this and I invite you into my heart. So Lord, I'm praying uh, both for my friends that have prayed that with me and for my friends who, who do know you but are desiring deeper, deeper connections with you, God. Reveal yourself to us, Lord during this season. We invite you in, Jesus. We invite you in, Holy Spirit. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're going to continue to worship God.
joining us here today. We hope God spoke to you through the time of worship and the message. Next week, we'll see you here again at 9 or 11 o'clock.